Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded and expects to hit 6 million listens by the end of July 2023. We're celebrating this success by recognizing those who have shared the journey with us and giving them the opportunity to contribute to the ongoing success of the shows. By buying a paper copy of the Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a donation to help the ongoing running costs, members of the international Italian wine community will be given the chance to nominate future guests and even enter a prize draw to have lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. To find out more, visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! Italian Wine Podcast is delighted to present a series of highlights from the 2022 Wine to Wine Business Forum, focusing on wine communication and bringing together the most influential speakers in the sectors to discuss the hottest topics facing the wine industry today. Don't forget to tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central European Time or visit winetowine.net for more information. Yes. So good afternoon, everyone. Um, welcome to this session. Um, this session, basically, our objective is quite simple, to open your eyes more to the African markets. And we're not going to pretend as if you don't know something about Africa, so we believe you know something about it. Um, but what we will do is let you speak directly to the experts. So keep your questions, keep them coming. We will try to take as many questions as we can. We will try to answer most of the questions you've got in mind as well. And the objective at the end of the day is to make you see Africa one. Two, why you should be there. Three, where should you be? How can you be there? And five, with whom should you be with? All right, so it's very clear objectives. Um, to start with, I'm going to introduce my friends here on the panel with me. So I'm gonna start from the ladies. So I've got here, right next to me, Vanessa. Vanessa is the CEO of VDB Ghana, VDB Consultancy and Trade. Um, it's a company that has been in the business for up of 10 years in Ghana. Well-known, prestigious, they do what they do, and they do a good business as well. Um, and then next is Soraya. Soraya comes from the wine shop Kenya. Um, it's a family business. They've got their tentacles spread across East Africa. So it's Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda. Um, they do very well. So yeah, Sarai is also a certified sommelier. She's a wine coach, wine teacher. Um, and then I've got my very good friend here, Deslandes. He works for the ITA, Italian Trade Agency from Angola. Deslandes is responsible for not just Angola, but about five different trade agencies around that region of Africa. And also we've got um, far to my right, Mr. Victor, well, Dr. Victor, he is a communication specialist representing Nigeria. He owns his own outfit in Nigeria. He likes to break the norm about wines into Nigeria. So what you think, maybe that's not what he thinks. And then finally, I've got Nico. So there's this brand in Africa called Namakwa. It's practically the most sold. So if you go everywhere around Africa, you see Namakwa, that's the man. So Nico is GDO on trade, off trade specialist into Southern Africa, not just South Africa, but the whole SADC, the Southern African Development Corporation. All right, so this is where we are. And thank you for being here. So um, I'm going to go run through some brief slides now, and then I'll let my friends come up on the stage and talk to you directly. Is that all right? Let's go. Yeah.
What is it? It is fashion and style, heritage and diversity, creativity and innovation. It is about making exceptional things, talent, inspiration, engineering, design. We know how to make life worthwhile. Curiosity and dedication, bravery and imagination, expertise and precision. Vision, we've got it, but there's so much more to it. We think big while tackling the smallest details. We're imagining future paths while being inspired by our living past. We're builders, innovators, artists and scientists. But as you can see, there's still so much more to it. Everyday visionaries, original and refined, stubbornly authentic, with unmatched quality on our mind. We are all this, and you can be too. Every time you live it, wear it, feel it, taste it, you'll know it's true. It is our brand, cool and unique. Italy is simply extraordinary. Be it. All right, now we start with a video. Is it good, yeah? <laughs> All right, so let's move on with the slides. So again, this is the objective. Why, where, how, and with whom. That's the objective, very clear. So we start with the why. This is my Africa. 54 countries, 1.2 billion people. Um, the largest city is Lagos, and you've got so many languages. So we go against the bias of thinking Africa is one country. Africa is a continent. It's got a lot of countries in it. And Nigeria is not just a street on the country of, of Africa and Ghana is the next street. No, it's a country. So, so what we've done here is to divide where the consumption is. So you can see what region of Africa consumes the most of wines, um, pre-COVID numbers and then post-COVID numbers. That way you can judge the effects of COVID on the continent. Um, 2018 to 2021. So what we go for by dividing the continents into four zones, practically, so the north, the south, the east, and the west. You've got Central Africa also around there. And we see the number of bottles consumed in 2018 across the, in, uh, the most interesting 10, 12 markets of Africa. You see South Africa is in the park next to Angola. And this is, please, 2018 numbers, not 2021. So South Africa is dead in the park with Angola next and Ivory Coast. If we go to 2021, we see a big drop in Angola. South Africa is still increasing. Ivory Coast is coming up. And then you've got Nigeria next to it. What do we see? Please do not be deceived by what you're seeing consumption. Look at the imports as well. So if you think Africa, South Africa is a big consumer of wines, how much do they really import? So don't be deceived by consumption. And this boys alone account for about 89% of the consumption on the company pre and post COVID. So that's where we need to know. So if you think this answers your where, wait till my friends come up on stage to tell you what exactly is going on here. Okay. What else did we do? What we've done with this map, the small African map is to highlight on the dry markets. So there are a few dry markets in Africa, Mauritania, you don't drink wines. South Sudan, you don't drink wines. So a few dry markets, and that's the gray ones. If you see the gray points on the map, those are the dry markets on the map. And then we've looked at what the wine type is. So 
you've got a sparkling wine or something, maybe that's not the market for you. They will tell you more about that. So look at what the consumption is. People drink more of red, less of white, rosé. These are the numbers. I've got this map here. And my friends will come up and tell you what they think about this map. Angola is said to be, well, we know it's a Portuguese region and the wine involvement is said to be very high. It's said also that they like high alcohol content wines and they like more of dry wines as against sweet wines. So I want my friend Deslandes to comment on this because he's the expert on Angola. Deslandes, what do you think about that, about Angola? Well, uh, thank you, Tammy. He's uh, completely wrong. <laughs> completely wrong and uh, yeah we will have the opportunity to comment more about this when i will be making my presentation so but i can tell you right now that this information right here is not right i mean because these reports normally are made basing on some information that are not effective on the market so that's why in many reports about africa you find a lot of not right information about what is really happening there so let's ask, let's find out from Nigeria. It says wine involvement is practically right in the middle, alcohol, lower alcohol, and quite sweet. The main importers would be, the main countries of origin would be French, South African, US, and Spain. Mr. Victor, what do you think about this? Yes, um, for, um, I'll start with sweet. Yes, correct. Okay. Um, Nigeria is predominantly a sweet uh, market. Uh, for alcohol content, um, no. Um, so that's also wrong. Yeah, that's, that's a bit wrong. Nigerians also appreciate uh, wines with very high, moderate alcohol content, especially because you have a very predominantly young population, about 60% of, of the entire 200 million. Uh, wine involvement, yes, uh, moderately. So in terms of the country, yes, I absolutely agree, 100%. You have the French leading, um, okay. and then, um, of course, South Africa also because of proximity. Some All right. You would have the time to tell us why there's no Italy on that map. I think that's the important question. And then we can come to... Soraya, you want to say something on Mozambique? Um, yeah, I'll speak about um, East Africa and Kenya. I would say, yes, it's wrong. Um, South Africa definitely is leading, but happy to know that Italy is also there, third place. France is second. So Italy is definitely featured there. It's just now to do the work to get more into the country. All right, thank you very much. And then Vanessa to Ghana. What do you think about this that we've got here? you think that's representative of your market? No, it isn't. Um, French wines is not number one. It's South African. Okay. And they haven't featured Italy, for example, but they've got Argentina. And Argentina yeah. is not featured. At, I mean, Argentinian <coughs> wine is a very small representation of the market. So as Semi said earlier, um, a lot of the information you get is completely wrong with what is on the scene. And looking at this being all sweet and low percentage alcohol, just as you have in Nigeria, um, it's very different because they want to feel the alcohol kick because um, right. we're coming from hard liquor and beer to wine. So to drop back to something that tastes like Coca-Cola, then they might as well drink Coca-Cola. So if they're drinking wine and spending that amount of money on it, you bet they want their alcohol kick in it. All right. So it may be sweet, but it has to have the high alcohol content as All right. well. Thank you very much, Vanessa. So four and four, all wrong. So now I'm going to move to Deslandes, and he's going to talk about Angola to us. So we have a very big um, thing in Angola. Yeah. Most of the people here speak Italian, I guess. Huh? Most of the people here in the, in the room, I think we can speak in Italian. 
but I'm, I'm a fan of effective communication, so I prefer to speak in the in a more in an easier language. We can have a direct communication. We can have an interaction. I will speak a bit, a little bit of Angola market, but uh, in just a few words, Angola, as you can see here, is a it's a big country. It's four times Italy in terms of territory. Ah, I will speak in Italian. Okay, Queen. <laughs> Angola is uh, a country that is quite good, uh, quite big, four times uh, Italy, so very big country, 33 million inhabitants, uh, and uh, the official language is Portuguese, uh, almost exclusively Portuguese is spoken. The local language is not so much spoken, so you actually realize that everybody will speak Portuguese, and this is due to the colonization of the Portuguese, that there was a really because Portuguese people, unlike uh, French and English ones, uh, are quite mixed. Uh, they actually settled down with their families, uh, and there was a great impact in terms of colonization. So this is, uh, so to say, uh, kind of a westernized country. I don't know if you can see it that good next to Namibia and then Congo. Uh, so we are close to the uh, Atlantic Ocean. This is a very important location for trade uh, to important ports uh, and other three ports about to be built. So also commercially, this is a very important country. And talking about wine, uh, we'll also mention some figures. Uh, so we do not have a local uh, wine uh, making uh, uh, activity. We have uh, this uh, wine, Valedobero, that has been produced for one year. It's a, it's a uh, red wine. And as a matter of fact, raw materials in Angola are not present. We have to import labels. We have to import bottles. And so the production is not so lively, but this wine is produced in Angola. Some people say it's good, so that could be a way also to produce wine there, also for the climate. But the climate is not so appropriate for winemaking. And concerning imports, and we'll talk about these more later on, we have the five main partner countries from where wine arrives. We're talking about Portugal, accounting for 82.9% of the market, which is a very high market share, but this market share was even higher in the past, and in the previous it was 95% of the wines that were exclusively Portuguese, and this market share is decreasing right now, but it's going to take time because we're very much linked to Portugal, so we really drink a lot from Portugal, and during the colonial times, so you may understand that all the Portuguese wine was actually uh, delivered to Angola. And so Angolan people have grown up drinking Portuguese wine. And this is quite good because in Angola, uh, the competition is with Portugal because Portugal is a great wine producer, but it's not as important as France as a wine producer country. So we also have South Africa also because it's quite close. And so you can can do it actually uh, by um, by land, uh, and then uh, Italy uh, that has a, a good market share that is uh, growing from 2020 to 21. Indeed, uh, the amounts of imports has uh, doubled, uh, and then we have Spain and France. Uh, 
So again, other countries are trying to actually enter the market. And quite quickly, indeed, to import wines in Angola, there is, of course, slower bureaucratic procedures. We have high taxes because, indeed, wine is considered a luxury commodity. And so, of course, you have a lot of taxes. And then we also have the problem of inflation above 2% per month in Angola, so at the end of the year is a 27% inflation, so the wine price uh, is uh, very, very high, the double or three times uh, the purchasing price. So, so if the price gets out of here uh, to five euros per bottle in Angola, it's going to be sold minimum at 15 euros with all the steps between. Then, of course, uh, another important uh, thing we should mention is that these two bottles I've shown here. These are the mostly consumed uh, bottles uh, in Angola. We we have to be careful of the packaging because uh, those uh, bottles are sold also because of that golden color. So you should actually understand the type and habits of uh, consumers there. Almost 7 million bottles uh, were sold, uh, as a matter of fact. But why? Just that bottle, you can imagine. So uh, this is uh, performing very well, and we also have Amicone next to that uh, golden bottle, a kind of Amarone that you can see, you can tell that it is a high quality Italian wine, even if it may not be the case. So, talking about Italian wines, uh, the significant market share uh, is um, in relation to the fact that this is uh, the third imported wine in Angola, because uh, uh, there is a great producer and immediately after Portugal, we can say that there is Italy because, of course, South Africa is very close to Angola. But as a matter of fact, Italy has a, a quite good position, uh, much better than France. And so you may understand that Italy can have a very good market in Angola. And then talking about the trade, there is no limit to uh, wine sales. You can sell wine anywhere. So if there are so many white shops or many places where alcohol drinks can be sold. There is uh, no issue about uh, selling uh, wine because 99% of the population is Christian. So there is no limit to alcohol consumption. And what I like to say is that in Angola, the population is very young. Uh, almost 70% of the population are under the 25 years of age. It's a very young population and consumers that are actually experiencing the transition from uh, Coca-Cola, from juices uh, to alcohol uh, drinks. And so the preferences uh, are not for wines with a very high alcohol content. So it's not that you get from uh, a juice to uh, a wine with a very high alcohol content. But of course, the consumers need to actually feel uh, almost drunk after drinking. So it cannot be too sweet and cannot be, uh, you know, the alcohol content cannot be too low. So, but a moderate uh, alcohol content. So you see the characteristics of uh, wines being consumed in Angola to finish. Uh, <laughs>
Are you enjoying this podcast? There is so much more high-quality wine content available from Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Check out our new wine study maps, our books on Italian wine, including Italian Wine Unplugged, The Jumbo Shrimp Guide to Italian Wine, Sangiovese Lambrusco and Other Stories, and much, much more on our website, mamajumboshrimp.com. Now back to the show. I like to talk about the sale channels. So this is very important because the wine comes from the wine producer that goes to the local importers. Uh, and uh, those are also distributors. Uh, so there's not much difference between importers and distributors because the importers are also distributors. And then there are the various uh, steps uh, through the various uh, sales channel. There is uh, indeed uh, the main distributor and then the distributor re sells uh, the wine, as you can see from the various boxes connected by the arrows. Uh, so we have the producer and then the distributor, and the distributor can sell it to restaurants or hotels uh, that depend on the distributor and then on the various resellers. So there are the various steps uh, until you then come to informal trade, but we would need another forum to talk about informal market because that is a quite, uh, uh, but it's not the black market, it's informal market. Why? Because it's not illegal. It is uh, tolerated by the authorities, uh, although they do not respect all healthy and fiscal uh, regulations. So I may arrive and just uh, a, a open a bar and sell wine, so they don't throw me away. But there are certain policies uh, to make it formal, but this is still ongoing process, so almost uh, 6% uh, uh, of these uh, uh, sales uh, go through informal market. And the Italian wine is more in the informal market, although you can find it also in the formal market. And then, as said, uh, the informal market uh, uh, already have those uh, open windows, uh, meaning that is uh, an open window. You arrive uh, and you can get uh, whatever you can drink uh, and you can sit there until the morning after. So as you can see, uh, you, we have a well distributed uh, uh, in the trade. Uh, and then uh, you see here, that uh, only in Luanda there is an average consumption of uh, 25 uh, uh, liters uh, per person. So I'd like to conclude now and then we can uh, uh, start the debate to say that it is a market very much open to commerce and trade, but there are still uh, different barriers uh, to be overcome. We as uh, ICE office uh, try to organize a master classes uh, during which we take importers uh, to understand uh, the features of the Italian wine because it is also important to invest uh, in consumers and not only in the importers because computer, so consumers uh, should understand uh, what they're drinking. And so we organize uh, several events and uh, 
several educational classes uh, to teach consumers uh, what they drink uh, when they choose Italian wine. And we also organize uh, local fairs and we try to uh, actually promote this connection between uh, uh, Angola and Italy. And I like to talk also with uh, Cameron that is within our competence uh, over there. It is the same. We are doing uh, communication events and many other initiatives. Uh, then if you have any other questions, uh, please uh, come and tell us. Just going to go and ask a few questions from Deslanders before we move to the next speaker. So, Deslanders, if we look at this line here, now you've just made a show and you've said that in, in Angola, it's Portuguese wines first and then the wines from South Africa and then the wines from Italy comes next. But what we see here from wine intelligence and IWSR is Portuguese, then Spanish, then Italian, and then you've got South African and Argentinian. So you're saying this is wrong, is it? Yeah, this is completely wrong because even if you go to wine shops in Angola, you don't find a lot of Spanish wines over there. It's easier, very easier to find Italian wine than to find Spanish wine. So this is completely wrong. And it's wrong even considering the South African wine. South Africa is very next to Angola. You can go by car. So it is almost impossible to have more Spanish wine than South African wine over there. You know that South Africa is a big producer of wine. Very good. Uh, I've been to Luanda before, and it's a city I enjoy a lot. So I, I also struggle to believe that the on trade for wines in, in Angola represents only 14% while the off-trade represents 85%. Do you agree with this, or do you think there's something wrong here as well? Yeah, that is, uh, it's, uh, well, it's, it's wrong, but not completely wrong. Okay. Yeah, yeah not completely wrong. Finally, not one, not completely. Okay, <laughs> finally. Yeah, this is completely wrong. I would say it is more like 50-50, but I don't have the data right here, so I cannot argue a lot about this data. So one thing about the CAGR, we see that um, sparkling wine dropped about 17.6% in Angola, between 2016 and 2021, mm -hmm. and then is expected to rebound and then to be at 6.2%. What do you think will be the biggest driver for this growth, and why that drop before? Well, this drop is not well. It's not very effective because uh, sparkling wine is growing a lot. We mm. consume locally because of the, the reason uh, the one that I told when I was there. You yeah. know, young consumers, young people always partying, always having fun. So they need sparkling wine for those moments. That's why sparkling wine is growing a lot. But even because the consumers are demanding all the time for, uh, for, for this category of, uh, of wine. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much. Please, a round of applause for Deslanders. I would like that we take all the questions together at the end of the session because some questions might repeat over the market. So I'll quickly like to rush to Ghana now. We're at the Black Star right now. So this is Ghana. And Vanessa is going to help us a lot with Ghana. I quickly would like to go into questioning Vanessa about Ghana immediately. Now, the first thing you see about Ghana is it's also quite a young country. It's quite a young But Vanessa, the average age, what percentage of your population do you think that the less than 35% make in your country? And how important is this demography? to the business in your country? So although the demographics shows that there's a younger generation between the ages of 18 and 35, um, what it's not describing to you as well is whether they have the income to be able to afford the wines. So if I'm a wine business person, 
then I'm going to look at who's going to be able to afford the wines to start off with, to start a business. And then I'll look at how I grow the young people into liking wines so that when they have affordable income, then they can get there. So it's a two-way street to focus on how you get the market now and then how you build the others up into that market. And that's what I look at. It is interesting in the sense that you're not just having a market that will remain stagnant, which means they have affordable income, but they're going to grow older and you won't have a market anymore. But how do you translate that also to the younger generation coming up so that when these ones are going this way, you have a bigger market that's also growing to meet it. So it makes it, the opportunities are there, the possibilities are there, and that's what makes it exciting. So I don't just look at the age and the demographics. I look at what is the opportunity now and what is the opportunity going to be for me in the future as I enter the market. Then it helps with your return on investment because yeah. if you're investing in the market, you want to be there for a longer time, not for a short time, and then you move out. So how do you sustain yourself up until that point? Thank you very much, Vanessa. Um, I want to talk about this chart as well, where it talks about the steel and sparkling category. Do you yeah. really... Uh, so from my understanding, and the sparkling here includes champagne, so yes. it's all sparkling. Do you think this number is representative of the no. sparkling consumed in Ghana? No, no, not at all. Um, you know, Ghanaians like to party, just like you you have in Nigeria, party. we Lots. party. So even at funerals, they put call to glory, or uh, what's the other one that they like to use? Um, celebration of life. of life. So funerals are three-day events. You may be mourning the person you lost, but they're coming to party. So you're serving drinks. And the champagne and sparkling wine is reserved for the Sunday. That's when everyone is partying. When you're having a wedding, you have a set number of seats and people. So I'm just giving you the scenario. When you're having a funeral, you write, all sympathizers are cordially invited. So at my dad's funeral, for example, and that was my first experience, there were 5,000 people who turned up because they knew my dad. Now you're going to have to feed them and give them drinks because they'll walk away saying that, oh, you didn't honor your parents. So funerals are a big business, for example, and they want sparkling wine. Um, everything is a celebration and they want to pop something. You know, so birthdays, um, christenings, weddings, name it, graduation, before they get married, there's also bachelor's parties, uh, engagements. There is always a celebration. So they want to pop something. So to say that still wine is actually higher than sparkling is no representation of the market. If you look at just champagne, I know for a fact, looking at the numbers that we have, that Nigeria being over 200 million people yeah. The consumption of champagne in one year was about 750,000. Ghana is 32 million, 33 million, and the consumption for us was around 300,000. So half of what Nigeria, which is seven times our population, were drinking. So when I see this, I know that the numbers are not quite what is on the scene. Oh, that's interesting to hear. Vanessa, I want to talk to you about on-premise, off-premise, and also the growing importance of e-commerce in your market. What is the role of e-commerce in Ghana's market now? And what is the role that as wineries that we can play to, to also to better increase the value that e-commerce carries on your market? 
Well, Tim, you know, I established wine2.com, which I haven't launched yet five years ago because I could see that coming into play. And I wish I'd done it before COVID. I'd launched it because I would have made a fortune. Um, E-commerce will grow because people are now buying a lot online as well, um, not just from within Ghana, but outside of Ghana. So they can go on Amazon, buy the things that are shipped to them, and they get their stuff. So with wines and stuff as well, it is going to be big. The really important thing here with e-commerce, and this is what we're doing with our online business, for example, people don't know the different varieties of wines, which wines to pair with our food, our local food. When you write about your wines and pairing, you're writing about papadella and stuff. How do they know what papadella is? It has to be paired with a local food. So with our e-commerce, what we're doing is, on the site, you can see the local pairing with our food and how the wine will relate to the food. We also have pictures of our food and stuff. So it makes it enticing for them to buy the product. And most people are kind of shy and embarrassed to walk into a wine shop and show their ignorance about wines. When it's e-commerce, it's much easier. So what is going to be important is for the wineries to help with the information that goes on there that will relate to the people there, the consumer, because it's no longer about the shop being able to sell to the consumer. It's about the online giving the consumer the information so they can buy. So how we structure that and put it together is going to be important, but e-commerce is going to be huge. At the moment, what we have is like Jumia and the others, but these e-commerce platforms are not dedicated to just wines. They have all sorts of products. So there isn't much information that makes it interesting. It's just like a product that's been put on there. To tailor make this to suit the wine industry is going to be really important. Thank you very much, Vanessa. Now, I've got a pie chart right next to you, right in front of you there. And all I see, I've see I see LGCF, which is very French. I see um, Kevin Gardens. I see Distel. I see, uh, what else is there? Casa Perico. Now, yeah. I don't see any Italian winery. What opportunity are we missing in Ghana? Why are we not here? Why are we not on that pie chart? I'm going to say something, and I don't mean this in an offensive way. Um, Italians don't like traveling out to a place of unknown to start a market. So they actually don't, what I experienced is not believing in their products enough to send to a market because they don't know the market. They don't know whether there's affordable income for people to buy. So I remember when I approached one of the wineries and I said, I want Amarone for a client. And they said, can they afford Amarone? And I smiled. And one client alone that year bought 1,200 bottles for just his own consumption. And then it grew from there. So when I came back, is he buying more? Yes, he is. So these are the restrictions from your side, not from our side, of not knowing the market enough to say that this is what can go into the market. When we approach and we kind of guide it as well, there's this disbelief that is it really going to work? Um, for example, with Prosecco, which I started with Prosecco, as you know, it was all champagne, and I thought, well, not everyone can afford champagne. Number two, Prosecco is more friendly with our temperature, our climate. Um, it's more friendly with our food. 
as well. So our food has a lot of high acidity because of the tomato base, has a lot of spices. So, and it's quite complex as well. So if you put champagne that's high in acidity with our food, it's just going to go to your head. Whilst Prosecco, they can finish a whole bottle and they're still okay. So they can continue with the party. So when I took that to them, they loved it. But they were not interested in Brut because Brut is quite dry. They don't have the sugar residue, so the fruity aftertaste. And I remember speaking to some of the wineries here, and I said, I don't want your Brut. I want this instead. And they were fighting with me over it. So these are some of the restrictions from within here that you're not listening to the person who's over there experiencing it every day to try and build it up. And the other thing I'll mention um, as well is that I'm not looking at what will drive volumes immediately because they already have that with the Spanish wine. They have that with the South African wines and all those other wines. What is unique about Italian wines is that you have such a variety. So it's not one grape varietal. You have such a variety across all the regions, and they work very well with our food. They could not pronounce Montepulciano, for example. They would say Montepulciano, but they liked the wine with the food, so that worked. They liked Nero Davola with our food. That worked. Um, I can mention so many other names. I'm looking at even white wines like Pinot Grigio and things like that. The softness, the roundness, the complexity, the full-bodied wine to also the young wines. So there's so much from here that helps me with the market because they're stuck in one zone. It was all Pinotage, and I have no, not to offend the South Africans, it was Pinotage, it was Bordeaux, and then I come in with Montepulciano, which they can't pronounce, I come in with Nero Davola, I come in with all sorts of wines, and it's like, oh, suddenly there's something different for every palate. So Italy has a huge amount of opportunity, and I'm sure it's the same in Nigeria as well, that you're not capturing because you're not looking at it from our perspective, you're looking at it from your perspective. Interesting. Um, finally, Vanessa, there's this table, my very famous table of who imports what and who is in, in, important in your market. It says the Spanish wine is number one, and then the South African wine, the French, the Argentinian, Italian, and Portuguese. Just a word on this. How true is this? It's not. Okay. It's a mismatch, and also because um, with Argentinian wine, I mean, I do import Argentinian wine, and it's about that. Um, South African wine is huge in Ghana. Um, and then looking at the French, yes, it's the low-end French wines more so than the high-end French wines. Spanish wines, yes because they brought in a lot of volume Spanish wines into the country, the price points as well. So for new beginners coming into it and they don't have a huge amount of money, they're going to go for the cheapest one to say, hey, I'm drinking wine, which is good because at least they start from there. And the good thing about Africa is that people always aspire. So they don't start with low-end price point and end there. They want to aspire to go this way. So as they're learning and they're developing their palate as well, they're looking for something higher. So they may start with a Swedish wine and end up with a still wine eventually. So this is room for growth. Yes. On the final note, now this is the table of the Italian wines by region in South Africa. 
and it says the number one most sold steel wine region in Ghana is Veneto, followed by uh, Trentino Alto Adige Friuli, and then Toscana. Now, what is it from Veneto? What wine? Steel now? Prosecco. No, steel. 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 This is steel, yes. Steel. So steel, it would be from Veneto, the Pinot Grigio. If you're talking about red, then you're looking at um, the Cabernets and Merlots and stuff okay. as well. So basically the but generic varietals. The generic varietals. Okay. When you move to the other varietals like um, Corvina yeah, and things like that, Valpolicella and all of yeah. that, yes, but then that is not for the mass. Okay. So that works in Ghana, but and they do love it, but they can't afford it. So the ones that can afford it will be a smaller sector of the market yeah. as opposed to a larger sector of the market. Okay. Yes. Um, Temi showed before the demographics and the legal age for voting and drinking. So at the moment, 33 million people, 18 million are the legal age to drink. Okay, 18 million. Now beer is the biggest part of the market because we were colonized by the British. And hard liquor is also very big. So out of that 18 million, imagine if you had 1 million people drinking wine on a daily basis. Just do the maths. 1 million people, one glass a day. That's 250,000 bottles per day. I'm going to do that times 300, not 365 days. Because when we have Lent, Quaresima, people will stop drinking. When we have Ramadan, because there's a Muslim population, the liberal Muslims will not drink. So I'll take out the 65 days and do the 250,000 times 300. That's 75 million bottles per annum. That is a waiting market. That's just a start. So when you're thinking of opportunities, I'm not looking at just the demographics. How do you get in and build it and creates the interest with a young population, the ones who are already drinking, to get those numbers up. And that's where you're coming in because that's the business side. So when you're investing, what's the return of investment? That's the 75 million bottles that you could sell. I bet you some of the wineries don't do 75 million bottles per annum. And now we can quickly move to Kenya. Um, with Soraya. So Soraya is going to help us with Kenya. Just start with this Ubuntu line. I am because you are. Yes. So- um, hello, everyone. Jambo. <laughs> um, I am because you are. That is a truly unique African concept. And I think, if anything, that's the takeaway you need to go home from my presentation. Uh, that picture, I was representing Kenya for the first time at the World Blind Tasting Competition recently in Champagne, France. Um, I got there because of Team Zimbabwe. They said, my sister, come along with us. And I'm proud to say that we actually beat Italy. (laughs) I don't know if you're happy or not. (laughs) But um, it's just to show passion, commitment, and taking risks uh, can really get you anywhere. Um, Kenya is a very young population, uh, 18 to 35 again, 60 million people. It's a waiting market. Um, It's an aspirational market. And as you guys know, Kenyans are famous for marathon runners. So it's not a quick fix. It's a long race, but there's big rewards at the end of the race. 
Um, why you should be interested in Africa, this goes for all of us, but also for Kenya. It's a huge e-commerce. It's booming. Um, mobile money, e-commerce, um, ease. You can get alcohol delivered to you in 30 minutes, 24 hours a day. I mean, that is customer service at its best. Um, hospitality, we have the Masai Mara, wine tourism, it's huge. And it's something that needs to be invested. We get tourists from all over the world and they want to be drinking good wine. So we need to be able to offer it to them. Um, basically, also disposable income. There is a very big growing middle class. And as Vanessa said, it's aspirational. Everybody wants to get to the next best thing. So it's really nice to be able to groom the market and to educate them. Um, the rise of the sommelier, I am a WSET level three going on to my diploma and I am also now opening a wine school and I want to be able to groom sommeliers because the education is also very important. Um, as much as we like to drink wine and, and think we are showing off, it's also important to have the education, the culture, the history. Um, and so I think also increased availability of products in the market. Obviously, South Africa, close proximity. It saturated the market with 60%. But in a way, that's a good thing because there's always room for something else and something different. People are getting a little bit tired of Chile, a little bit tired of France. And so that's where Italy can sort of present itself and come as a unique product. Mm -hmm. So where to play? Um, of course, you can see here South Africa is huge, but there is a lot of opportunity. And as people travel and as people's palates change, as there's a lot more wine and food-related events. I mean, there are a lot of Italians already in Kenya. Melindi, the coast, saturated with Italians. Um, and so there is already that interest. It's now bringing that to the local Kenyan market. As with anything, there's always barriers to entry, um, but nothing, nothing worth the hassle. I mean, once you're in, you're definitely in, and I think it's worth the investment. It can be daunting. Um, I guess looking at it from the outside, how do you get in? How do you make sure you don't burn your fingers? How do you make sure you have a reliable partner? But these are all things that can be navigated. And I believe that it is the future, and I believe that people need to take the time to invest now so that they can reap the returns in the future. Um, yeah, as you can see, there's lots of barriers to entry, but once it's in, it's a breeze. Um, we've been working with Temi and, and uh, Zonin for over 12 years, and I, I think we're doing pretty good. And I still see barriers every day, so, <laughs> even after 12 years. Um, I guess how to play, I mean, owning stock in country is very important, as with every other market. If you have a good continuous supply of stock, Stock is king, and you can really take the market as long as you have continuous product. And with your range, we can always keep subbing in great varieties. So I think that's great. Promotion. Um, again, I feel where there's a bit of a gap is there's not enough investment in promotion and tasting opportunities. I mean, the Italian ambassador did an Italian week, which was great. But if I look at South Africa and if I look at France, how they've had so much success is it's continuous opportunities for tasting. It's events, it's education, it's investing in key people so that they can spread the, the gospel on wines and certain types of wines. If you get the customer between 18 and 35, you have them for life. And if you can make an impact, if people can visit your vineyards, if they can taste your food, if they can hear your culture, if they can meet your winemakers, it's such an impact. It, it is it's something that is very personal to them and they'll be able to 
you you'll own them basically and and they'll be loyal to you um and so i think really the promotion of i mean this is great that we're here but we need you to come to us and we need to do things continuously on a quarterly basis to keep it on top of mind so that people can now understand that yes i need to be drinking italian wine um working with a good importer i mean kenya has a lot of different county, uh, counties and it's important to be in all of them and also in the informal sector as much as the informal sector is a problem i think if you get a handle on it you're able to control it the formal sector is there but you also need to be with the informal sector the small little little shops you see on the road that are open you need to be able to have your product there as well so that you can be competitive and then partnerships i mean relationships it's very important to build long standing partnerships it's not we call them suitcase importers today they're here they promise you numbers and tomorrow they've died and you need to be with a partner who is there for the long run and it might start slowly slowly but i promise you the volumes will be there and it will be regular payments consistency and professionalism and i think you need to invest in the long run it's not going to be something that happens overnight so for kenya we can see that you've got practically 90% of the wine consume, consumed from the old no from the new world countries and then just a little bit from the old world now what is it that the new world what are they doing right that the old world boys are not doing So I mean they're putting in a lot of effort obviously South Africa it's proximity so that's a no brainer but if you look at Chile if you look at Argentina it's really good juice in the bottle at a very good value and they're investing the time to come and see us and to promote their product to talk to us and to make us feel part of that relationship So now we move to Nigeria So Nigeria is such a big country over 205 million people the numbers are still uh, going up um again of course it's a very young population 18 uh, to 35 is about 60% of the entire uh, of the population um and people are desirous and um, ambitious and 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 very mobile and they are looking for quality products uh, especially wines from everywhere in the world that can appeal to them and and um so uh, like i said is a young population split between male and female 50-50 well the biggest one of the biggest issue with nigeria is issue of unemployment so you talk about affordability are these wines affordable which is why it's critical to have entry level wines that are at a good price point that people can easily assess and of course they, they they what we find interesting is people would always trend up the moment their income improves um so they could start off with um sweet low end wines but again migrate um as as yeah. the as uh, income increases um the economic reality in nigeria is uh, predominantly oil and gas economy uh with heavy inflow of uh, foreign um, um i mean uh, of dollars if you wish and of course it circulates um and uh, enables people to uh, invest in the kind of lifestyle that they choose and wine consumption is one of those lifestyle that is also quite aspirational um well it's import, import dependent Uh, what it means also there is a very huge opportunity for everyone who is wanting to export to Nigeria to see what space is available for you to play in every of the big brand present in Nigeria I was talking with uh, Temi about uh, the french uh, the french wine uh, the italian wine quite low at the moment but of course um, you have a very huge space to to play bigger but you have italia you have french you have south africa 
pushing very strongly. You also have Chile and Argentina wine pushing very strong, strongly. These are uh, pretty, you would say, uh, um, of course, new wine world countries, but they have been a lot more aggressive in terms of uh, ownership of the market, and I hope that you see the opportunity. Now, um, I will go straight to, well, the basic economic uh, factors you probably put in consideration in terms of the duty um, and in terms of the, the VAT also, you can see in this presentation, is also important from the marketing point of view, the legal point of view, advertising for alcohol is not allowed uh, at a certain time. So you, you cannot advertise alcohol uh, before 6 p.m. Uh, for beer and then for wine and spirit, you have to wait till 8 p.m. That is quite significant and it's something to be uh, mindful of. In terms of ad outdoor advertising also, you are not allowed to place, which I believe is the same regulation in most part of um, uh, everywhere else, you are not allowed to place alcohol advertising outdoor close to schools or uh, uh, places where you find children. So, um, so, so the, the, I'll go to the model. Um, if you permit me, go to the model, the market entry uh, model. Um, go, go down a bit. Um, OK, so this is very critical. Much of the wine imported, uh, wines imported in Nigeria end up in the open market about 75%. This is significant um, because it's a highly, highly traditional market. Um, of course, of course, the retail trade, you also have the retail trade, um, and, and modern and the traditional um, retail, and then, of course, the on-trade, which constitutes about 5% five, uh, 5 uh, on the average for consumption. So this is critical in finding a partner. It's important to understand the flow of the market and also where to make those investments um, to be able to uh, effectively um, own a, a reliable, a reasonable share of the market. Okay, this is simply, if you go to the next slide, this, this simple structure from the import flow through into uh, consumption. There are key big markets in Nigeria. Like I said, Nigeria is a 250 million sitting on, uh, 205 million sitting on a 925,000 square meter of land. So it's massive uh, space um, and then divided according to about six major regions, the south, the southwest, the southeast and, and all of that. And each of these regions, uh, have predominant big cities where uh, consumption is, is quite heavy, and each of these big cities also have well-established uh, wine market, whether in the traditional form or in the model, modern retail form. Um, so the biggest issue that I like to put up here is also the competition, ongoing um, war, silent war between Prosecco and Champagne. I think there's a huge opportunity for Prosecco in Nigeria. We just need to have the right investment. People are, uh, because of global inflation, which is also hitting the local economy, people are finding a way to still have the same uh, champagne experience in a different way, right? So, and we've had practical experience where champagne is filling in that space, but it needs a lot of investment, it needs a lot of education. Uh, Vanessa had made a very good point in terms of uh, our food pairing and, and, of course, all of the factors that will help um, the Prosecco to prosper in Africa and Nigeria is very much present. It needs to uh, be heavily invested in, and those who, who have Prosecco who are interested should not wait to, for too long. Okay, so I'll come to the final point about how do you participate in Nigeria. The emphasis for us will be about partnership and collaboration. Um, you can win that market by being transactional, by um, playing from afar. You need to interact, and we're pushing uh, the guys who are concerned to come and talk to uh, 
the Nigerian uh, wine uh, traders. We have a big forum, and everybody is interested in having conversation. Nigeria is quite a very receptive market if you come in the right way. Um, so I think that um, partnership and collaboration would uh, guarantee you a much more sustainable and longer time um, growth, and also you can actually draw value from that, that approach. Okay, so the key takeout for us and for me is building the partnership with local importers and investing in the market, putting emphasis on collaboration and less about transactional uh, participation, investment in branding, brand building, training, 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 training. Uh, wine education is very key because as you increase the knowledge, you also increase uh, the, 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 uh, the interest and, and then the consumer participation in, in, in all of that. Um, so investment through uh, advertising and promotion is also very key. And then, of course, support for the regulatory process with NAVDAC, the, the agency in charge of approving which uh, product you want to bring into the market. It's a very, very complex uh, regulatory framework that you have, but you need to be willing to work with your partner in Nigeria to be able to deal with these regulatory issues. And once you, you are through with it, so if we look at this slide, it says that the most sold steel wine region in Nigeria is from Italy is Toscana. Now, what is, if you look at the first two, it's Toscana, then Veneto, before you come to Trentino, Autoarige. Now, what is particular, what is peculiar about this region? And why do, why do, I think they practically account for, those three regions account for 60 out of 71. So that's almost a 90% of what is sold in steel wines in Nigeria. So why is that? What is particular about that? I think it's about destination, about also perception about those those region as it's um, currently um, available in the country. Uh, people want to. Um, it's about destination actually. It's about perception also, um, basically. So, so what you're saying is, before we sold the wines, before Prosecco and Pinot Grigio was sold into Nigeria, Tuscany was sold and Veneto was sold yeah. as a region. Yeah as a place. Yeah. So people identify with that origin, with, with Tuscan in itself. And then Sangiovese, it was easy to sell Sangiovese or yeah. Chianti. And also Veneto for Prosecco and Pinot Grigio. But there was an identification with the region. All right. And now we go to South Africa. So we've been seeing New World and New World. So yeah, I just, thanks guys. I just want to firstly say I'm not the enemy. Um, I import Italian wine, so uh, Obviously, South Africa is a big presence in the African market, but I do try my best to promote Italian wines across Africa, uh, mostly SADAC and South Africa, but the reality is it is challenging and there's a lot of education that still needs to be done. But from my side, I'm a salesman and I'd like to focus on the practical side of selling wine in South Africa. And if you look at the size of the price at the moment, total wine in our country, you're looking at 390 million litres being sold. That's 49% of our total production being sold in South Africa. So it's a big wine drinking nation. It's an educated nation to a certain point on South African wines. The problem we're missing is education on your business and actually coming into the market and telling the people exactly what you do because there's a lot of confusion in terms of what we do as from our side and educated and what you can actually add value to to the country and there's definitely opportunity in South Africa for sparkling wine premium wise that can try and and integrate into the 
champagne market and also the MCC sparkling market. And, and from my side, the, the real gateway into Africa, and I mean, it's, it's, it's logistics-wise, very difficult to navigate the African market. All of the big distributors, all of the big transport companies are based in South Africa, and you can pretty much set up your whole business coming from us. Our ports, uh, debatable at the moment, um, are quite well maintained. Uh, we just want a little bit less people to keep on... Uh, putting sanctions against us and trying to get more money out of it. But the reality is that that's the way to go. Um, in terms of your opportunity, the big problem is 2.7 million liters of that total pot is imports, um, which is pretty much split 50% between French wines and Italian wines at the moment. Um, and again, uh, the sparkling segment, mainly because of um, our demographics, is, is where the opportunity is. And I would like to highlight this specifically, and I think this will make you think in terms of where you currently are and, and where you should be. So don't look at the numbers as much, but if you look at SA imports, uh, and this is calendar year 2022 up until September, look at the Italian market in terms of um, the RAND value, RAND per liter, all the way on the right-hand side. Where's the point on this thing? The French are on top, not always, but um, in terms of uh, total liters, you'll see that you really don't sell a lot less uh, than the French market when it comes to sparkling wine, and that's obviously Prosecco and Champagne, nothing else. The problem you have is that the message you've given to us is you pretty much on 77 rand a liter versus Champagne, which is 600 rand a liter in value. So, so what does this tell us? The guys who wanted to enter that market on Prosecco went the wrong route. They went into the supermarket chains and they tried to discount themselves onto the shelves. So I import Prosecco and uh, I'll show you briefly a costing on what it really costs to import wine. Um, and if you go into any South African supermarket, pick and pay, check a spa, whichever it might be, you struggle to find a Prosecco which is more than 160, 170 Rand a bottle, which is about roughly conversion-wise, which is horrible at the moment, at 18 to the, to the Rand, uh, about 7, 7 euro a bottle, um, which uh, conducive to, to, to growing a business in a continent is, is certainly not practical. And the same on the still wine. If you look at uh, the French wines, uh, mainly sold through the supermarket chains as well, but their value is 320 rand a litre, while the Italian guys are 103 rand a litre. Again, desperation to enter the market from the wrong point. My question really to the audience would be, how do we transfer the value of Italian wines to the market? The French, even in the steel category, is currently, they earn three times as much as what we earn on the market. So it is 320 to 103 our cost of production is almost the same. Energy cost is almost the same. However, we are low. So how do we get our value from what we do at the seller to the market? And that's a big question we, you've got to answer. Yeah, so, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the wine in terms of, of what's on the shelf. I think it's, it's the certain white wines that, that's popular in South Africa is the ones that we also produce in our country, like Pinot Grigio, um, where, where I've tasted fantastic wines yesterday, Pinot Grigio's, where I think 
um, our palate is very conducive to, to a wine like that because, um, my opinion, please don't uh, sort of crucify, crucify me on this, but it's between a Chenin Blanc, Sauvignon Blanc, and a Viognier, which is all popular cultivars in our, in our country. Uh, it's just how you communicate the message and don't discount yourself. I mean, don't make the same mistake we made in Europe. Uh, stand by your quality and, and come in and invest in that ideal of the, the wines that you have, which are good. So quickly on RSPs, um, this is just domestic market uh, selling points, and I'm not going to convert all the time because my math is horrible. That's why I sell wine. The opportunity that I would like to point out here is if you take our market into a price bracket, the big blue, the, let's call it just a normal block, is where the opportunity is in premium wine for, for the Italian market. On the right-hand side, on the bottom, though, unfortunately, this is where the action is in our market. Now, this is price points, so that big red and big blue bubble is pretty much box wine and pretty much entry-level dry red, dry white, sweet red, sweet white. That is massive in our country. It's not a negative. I think the biggest thing that counted in our favor, and this stays in this room, is that COVID closed down all the big global conglomerates in South Africa. And I'm going to admit this openly, that the South African wine market had to sell wine. And we had to distribute, even if it was stupid sanctions that they put against us. And, and we dominated the bootlegging market for about six months. And, and it really helped the wine market. And you can see now that the people that after COVID coming in, they are much more prepared to pay more for wine. They are much more prepared to go through the online channels. Um, um, and it wasn't obviously the right thing to do, but it was actually for us as an industry great to do that. And, and we did take the online market from beer, spirits and ciders because of that. But, but the opportunity I want to point out, if you look at the top side there where uh, the, the 150 to 200 rand that would be 10 to 11 euro a bottle. That is where you should be playing in Prosecco. And that's not where you're playing at the moment. And that's where the French are playing. But they are playing much higher than that. So if you want to build a market, you need to start at at least uh, 10 to 11 euro. I know that's, it's not a lot, but for our country, that's the most we can absorb to get into the market. And that's where, where you need to start. Don't sell 400 rand a bottle Prosecco. That's ridiculous. It's, it's just not going to be conducive to, to, to uh, making money for both of us. And then on the still wines, if you look uh, at the red bubble, that would be 100 to 120 rand for uh, your Pinagricios, your Sangioveses, your Chiantis, um, which is where the action is now in the premium segment for us. And, and, and you've got wines that certainly can sell at that price, if I've listened correctly in terms of your euro quotes yesterday. I hope it was not desperation only, but the reality is for, for 120 bucks a bottle, uh, which is five euro, you can put a good wine, a Chianti Classical, on shelf, and that can actually get to the point where you can start building a brand. Um, and don't go lower than that because don't listen to what the, the rest of the guys are telling you in terms of what you need to be at price point wise. Um, challenges, we all have challenges. Um, that ship you see, we rarely see a ship like that in Cape Town in the port, but yeah, it, uh, it does happen now and then. Um, we, we have a strict government regulation system where the wines that are coming in has to adhere to our uh, specific criteria, which is ridiculous. 
but I had a situation where I was importing uh, Brut Rosé Prosecco. And the word Brut in South Africa is a certain sugar content which does not compare to your sugar content in, in Italy. So I needed to apply the sticker on the bottom right of your screen over the Brut sign. Small things that you have to keep in mind in, in talking to us as importers is get that specific details because if you have if you make one mistake and believe me i have made a few um on on that little label there they will pretty much keep your wine in bond at the harbor and you won't shift one single bottle and that costs all of us money um our excise duty went up 77 percent from 2014 up until now our vat is ridiculous um so yeah there are challenges but it's fairly easy to import wine into south africa uh, all we need is uh, a few certificates, we need an uh, analysis certificate, and we need a certificate of origin to say that Chianti Classico is actually made in that region. So it's not difficult to do. It's difficult if you do it yourself like I try to, but the reality is it's not a difficult process as in Mozambique, as in Zimbabwe, where there's chemical analysis and, and God knows what else. But uh, this is not real barriers. This is just administration. The picture you're looking at is the Okavango Delta in Africa. Those of you who've been there uh, would know how beautiful it is. Those of you who not, please go there. Uh, what I'm trying to tell you here and illustrate is a route to market. And again, and I import and export wine and also do South African wines into uh, most of the European countries. If you look at the top side of that picture, that would be the main uh, 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 delta that runs... Uh, from Botswana up until, uh, uh, help me out, Kasane, all of those reasons through the Chobi. And most of the people that come into the market and we talk to is, the first question is, how do I get into ShopRite Checkers, which is the biggest retailer in Africa? And I tell them, you don't. It's very simple. Uh, you start small, and the schematic I'm showing you is that you see all of these little side strings that runs down they eventually also get to the destination where everybody wants to go. And those are the, re the routes that guys like Italy, uh, like the smaller producers in countries, should take to eventually get to that main body of water. And there are quite a lot of opportunities and a lot of dynamic people in South Africa that are distributing wine, that are selling wine, and your wines to sell that. You really need uh, uh, talented people that have technical uh, skills in selling wine. You don't need an Amaqua distribution company and don't even go to them because they will only sell box wine and try and make margin uh, out of you by loading the wines onto a truck and just making up their margin to get it to market. So try and find the niche uh, distributor and, and I think there, there are opportunities and I'm not dissing supermarkets because I might lose my business if anyone is here from them but there's a few ways to do it, and, and um, a good way to do it is obviously to go direct to a big supermarket, make a deal, take in a container, and put it on shelf. Your challenge for that would be then, who's going to merchandise it? Who's going to manage the account? Who's going who's to invest on shelf for your product? Um, you might get one container or two containers, and you look important, but the reality is there's no follow-through, there's no after-sales sales service, and there's no one that's going to look after your product on shelf. So yes, you can do that, but it's really a, a, a quick fix to a problem that's going to become a bigger problem later. Um, 
distributors and importers, obviously, I mean, uh, the distribution channel is boring. You all know it. Um, what I want to show you is uh, actually where the, where the big potential lies and where everybody thinks that supermarkets are the way to go. If you look at that little portion there, that is where the French basically trumped you um, and are still doing. They went into the emerging African market and they invested millions of euros for the last 20 years to actually build the younger generation, uh, the, the, let's call it the, uh, the bulk of the South African population, to want to drink bubbly. And now they're only drinking Verve, Moe, um, who's Jay-Z, whatever that bloody champagne is. But the reality is... The Brignac. Thank you, Temi. Yeah. So um, if, I would, if I was an Italian exporter, I would really look at how do we penetrate into the emerging market. And the only way to do that is, is to actually get to uh, the big bulk breakers outside of these markets, invest in them, they will invest in the, re in, the, in, the, in the areas where you don't want to go and you don't understand. So try and work with them, and I call them hybrids. And um, we work with a hybrid uh, for an Italian company called United Distributors. And that's become the, the, the next game in South Africa. You work with a hybrid that does retail distribution, um, independent redistribution. They've got their own agent. They've got their own shops. And you don't have to go to anyone else because they sort of tick all the boxes. And, and you don't have to spend a hell of a lot of money with different groups. Go to one guy and he knows the market. He's already working with the biggest market and just invest in them. And I'm not saying it's a quick fix and a quick success. I'm saying it takes work, it takes a lot of investment in education and, and eventually you'll reap the benefits from that. And then finally, very, very quick, this is a costing I did recently and I almost got a heart attack. But the reality is, if you take a, a Prosecco, I just uh, took a quick schematic of a retailer X. By the color of the retailer X, you might know who it is, but um, it's a Prosecco that if you take the process from A to Z in terms of coming in up until on shelf, that is what it's basically going to cost you. So I'm not going to stand on this for too long. I've converted on the right-hand side the rand price to euro to make it easier. But basically what it says, if, if I FOB a, a bottle of Prosecco into South Africa for four euro, eventually the cost that I'm going to have to sell that at is going to be um, about, let's call it 720. And that's now just logistics and customs and tariffs and duties and export tariffs and bribery and whatever that might be, but that's, that's about 70%. That's only the import cost. So keep that in mind, and I'm not trying to discount you um, when you are getting to a point where you want to be on shelf. So you need to be on shelf again for 10 euro a bottle. How do you get there? I lose money. That's the, that's the main reason. If you look at my margin at the end of the day, it's, it's minus percent. So two things can happen. Either we need to up the value on shelf of your product that everybody can make money or we need to convince the retailer to take less margin. Good luck with that. Not going to happen. So, so the reality is that I don't want to buy a Prosecco at two euro because it's going to be crap. I want to buy one for five. But we need to then 
look at the value chain, look at what it costs. And this is, this is an expensive model, um, this specific model that I'm talking about. Trading terms, warehousing, transport, all of that costs money. But, but if you want to have any chance and we have any chance to, to, to distribute your product, it needs to be at for Prosecco between 11 and 15, for a dry wine between 5 and 7 euro a bottle. And then there's business. So um, I think in summary for me, I think there's a massive opportunity in the emerging segment in Africa, not only South Africa, because they buy affiliation. They want to look important in wherever they are drinking. Your product looks pretty and it tastes great and it doesn't have too much buttery and biscuit notes on it, which sometimes is too overpowering. So um, do your homework, speak to the right guys, and I think you really get success if you do the effort. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nico. Thank you very much. All right. That's a good one. Uh, for me, it's a wrap. Thank you, Thank everyone. You. Thank you so much. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cheat, cheat.